Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. I want to give a little bit of an introduction into this series. Um, As we have been going through this year, we've been talking about practices of the Christian faith. We just finished a series talking about Sabbath and how God calls us to rest. And now we're entering the final series of this whole year um, about gathering as God's people, the practice of gathering as God's people. And today um, we're starting way back in the book of Leviticus, not Exodus. We're starting way back in the book of Leviticus and talking about the feasts of God. Now, as we talk about gathering for the coming weeks, um, I'm really looking forward to this relaunch as Hillside. Um, I'm, re- I'm looking forward to um, all of the things that I think are on the horizon, the stuff that um, the leadership's planning that you may not even know about, um, things that will, will change a little bit, but also things that will stay the same. And one of the things and that I've said it over and over again since I started uh, as the pastor of this church back in 2018. Um, one of the things that brought my family here um, was the welcome and the friendliness and the kindness of this community. And I will tell you that for those of you who have been here for a long period of time, when people come and they stick to this community, it is because of generally... Uh, the kindness and the welcome of the people who are here. Um, as I've talked with all of the people who have joined us, and honestly, as I look around the room, there are so many who are new in the past two to three years. Um, as I look around, as I've talked to people who have stuck, it's generally been because of the, com- the, the kindness and community and the Christ-centeredness um, of our church and of our community. Um, and, and that is something that is bedrock to who we are, Um, The idea that when you come here, regardless of your background, regardless of what you're bringing in with you, regardless of where you come from or who you are or what you look like or anything about you whatsoever, you can belong from the very moment you step in the door. Um, And that's what we want to keep as the foundation for Hillside, is that this is a community of belonging. We're not um, some building that people come to, that we, we kind of chide people when they're not here, we chide people when they're not in the building. Um, we're not just some uh, institution and organization that we want people to come to us and we expect people to take the steps to come. Uh, we want to be a family that really embraces people and where people know that they belong from the very moment that they come, where someone feels like a, a family member and a participant from the very moment that they walk in the door. Um, that's, that's the goal here. And so as we approach this series on Gather, it would be easy uh, to be legalistic about it and be like, you need to be in church every Sunday or you're failing God. <laughs> and I just want you to know as we come in, like before we even talk about the text and before we even talk about the different topics, um, that is absolutely, if you begin to feel that way, I need you to talk to me immediately. Right? If you ever feel that way, because it's probably not wrong, something wrong with you, it's probably something wrong with me or the way that we're not welcoming you in. Um, and so I want to say from the very beginning, uh, this is not meant as a series to kind of bash us over the head about whether we're in church every Sunday or not. This is a series about why God calls us to gather as his family and, and the roots and the importance of that. Um, and, and finally, I'll say, look, I, I look forward to being here every single week. Let me tell you, I, 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 a couple weeks ago, I made a mistake. I got a call from my mom, 
And mom, if you're listening, I love you, and here's my apology. Um, I got a call from my mom because we had just come back from two weeks away, and I didn't call it a vacation. Um, in fact, I said from the front up here, hey, we've been away for two weeks. It wasn't a vacation because we're tired. We worked, right? We were at my mom's house, but Beth and the kids were at my mom's house for a couple weeks. I was at a couple conferences and then at her house in the middle. And there was a lot of work involved. We did, it was not a restful time for us necessarily because we had to mind the kids and we had to travel and do other things. Um, And so if we don't really get a lot of rest, we don't really call it a vacation. It's not a vacation in our minds. But it was a ton of fun. It was a great time away. We enjoyed being with my family. We enjoyed being together. We loved being away. We loved spending time in the pool. Um, and, And I say that now, not only as an apology to my mom for not calling it a vacation, but also to say being here on Sunday mornings can be work. I'm tired in the afternoon. I have, to, I have to nap in the afternoon, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love being with this family. I love being part of this family. I love spending time with you. And I love seeing your faces, not just seeing faces. I love hugging necks and talking and reconnecting with some people because I don't connect with every single person in the church every week. Um, but this is like a little family reunion every single week. It's like having family dinner on Sunday night. You know, you look forward to it. You want to be with your family. You want to hang out with them. You want to know them. And uh, that's what this is like for me. And I hope it's the same for you. And so as we go forward, that's the environment we're trying to cultivate. The environment where we want to be together as a family, regardless of what's going on in our life. We will, I, here's one commitment I make to you as a, as a family. Um, we're never going to miss a Sunday because we have an anniversary or a birthday or some special thing in our life because we want to share that with you. That's what it means to be family together. Right? And that's not to shame anybody who does, all right? If you go away for your anniversary, please enjoy it. Have a great time, right? Um, I'm, I'm making the commitment that special life events are things we want to share with you because we're family, right? So I want to start there with that premise to say gathering as God's body, gathering as this church is about being together as family, loving one another, caring for one another, and looking forward to the time that we spend together. All of that being said, as I've basically already preached the sermon, Terry's going to come and read the text, and then we're going to actually talk about the text of the Bible. Thank you. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times the times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. These are the Lord's appointed times, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Terry. All right, so that was, a, that was just a snippet of the beginning of Leviticus chapter 23, but we're actually going to cover the entire chapter today. So hunker down. I hope you brought a snack. Um, we're going to cover all of Leviticus 23, and we're actually going to do it fairly quickly in a fairly cursory way. Um, as I said before, when we gather together as the church. We are gathering as God's people. We are gathering as God's family. We're gathering as a people who are bound together by Jesus, by our common faith. 
Um, And this goes way back to the very beginning of the people of God. It goes way back to the very beginning when God called out a people for himself. So here's what's happened. Here's where we are in Leviticus. You ever, anybody ever read Leviticus straight through? All right. And anybody ever made it through? And it's, it's a slog, man. It's, it's hard. Um, it's hard to stay awake through some of it as it's going through like the, the rituals and the rules. It's easier to read the numbers, but not by much. Okay. Um, Leviticus can be really hard, especially for Christians, especially for people who are not like anchored and rooted in this culture and time and place. So here's what's going on in Leviticus. When Leviticus is being written, when it's being delivered to the people of God, they're wandering in the wilderness. So God had called a people for himself. He called a guy named Abraham, and then Abram's son Isaac, and then Isaac's son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons ended up going into Egypt. And they stayed in Egypt because there was a famine back at their home, and Egypt had grain thanks to Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, who became like right-hand guy to the Pharaoh and said, hey, there's a famine coming. We better store up all the grain. And so Egypt had all these people coming to it to get food because there was a famine in the land. And so Joseph's 11 brothers come down and they bring their father down to Egypt and they all just kind of settle in Egypt with Joseph as the right-hand guy. And for a long time, they live there, and they're kind of honored. People, the people of Egypt remember Joseph, and they honor Joseph's family and the, the children of Israel, who was Joseph's dad, Jacob. And then after a while, some pharaohs, some leaders of Egypt come in who don't remember Joseph. They don't remember what Joseph did for Egypt and what Joseph's family did for Egypt. And so they begin to oppress the children of Israel, and they end up enslaving the children of Israel to work for the Egyptians. And for 400 years, the children of Israel are enslaved in the land of Egypt until God raises up Moses, another person in Pharaoh's household. Joseph got to be a person in Pharaoh's household, and then later down the line, Moses is this Hebrew kid who was born at a really, really terrible time, gets floated down a river in a basket, gets adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, raised up in Pharaoh's house, and becomes kind of a royal himself. Later, he learns he's a Hebrew. He learns that he's a Jew, and so he goes to his people. And he lives among his people for some time, and then God calls Moses to free the children of Israel from Egypt. And so Moses does that. Moses and his brother and sister. We always forget about Aaron and Miriam. Aaron and Miriam are like super important to the story of the Exodus. Moses is not the only guy. In fact, Miriam is a prophetess. She's like speaking on behalf of God. She's she's tops. Like, Miriam's amazing. If you ever want to read something incredible, go read Miriam's song in Exodus, the song that she sings over God's people as they're being led out of Egypt. It's, It's incredible. So Moses and his brother and sister, they lead the people of God out of Egypt. And they cross the Red Sea, and they're in the land of Sinai at first, the mountain where God meets them. And then they got to wander up to the land that God had promised them, the promised land. Only they disobey God, and God says, look, this whole generation has to die out before you guys can go into the promised land. You guys are grumbling, you're disobeying. If you get to the promised land, you're not going to change. You're going to be just as ungrateful in the promised land as you are outside of it. And so this whole generation's got to die out before you're allowed to go in. So for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. 
waiting to go into the promised land. And during that time, God is speaking to them. During that time, God is speaking to Moses. He's delivering instructions to his people and saying, hey, when you get to the promised land, here's how you should live. When you get to the promised land, here are the structures and the systems. Here's how you're supposed to arrange the nation. Here's how your leadership structure should be. And here are the times that you're supposed to get together as a nation. And that's where we are in Leviticus 23. It's God speaking through Moses to the people of God saying, hey, when you get to the promised land, you guys got to all get together regularly. You can't be on your own. You can't live on your own. You weren't meant to live on your own. The whole idea of like a nuclear family, a mom and dad and like three kids, did not exist at this time, right? Families were big. Families included everybody. And ultimately, the family was the family of God, the whole nation. This is why Israel is called Israel, the children of Israel. It's a reminder that you are all descended from Jacob. You're all descended from Israel, and you are all related. You are one family. Never, ever, 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 ever forget that. And today in the church, we get to be reminded we are one family in Christ Jesus, bought with his blood, adopted into his family. We are all children of God through Jesus Christ. Never forget that we are a family. And that's why we gather. And so God says in Leviticus 23, hey, you guys need to get together. And so he gives eight times for the people to gather here in Leviticus 23. The first we've been talking about for weeks. The first is on the Sabbath. The people of God are to gather on the Sabbath day. Every single week, you're supposed to have a family meal together. Every single week, you're supposed to come and you're supposed to feast on God's presence and on God's word and on the presence of his people together as you're resting. Come together. And so that's what Terry read for us. Leviticus 23, 1 to 4. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times, the times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. So the people of God were called from the very beginning to gather one day a week on their Sabbath. This is not something new that the church does. This is not something new that we do. Church attendance is not some new concept. Gathering as the body of Christ, gathering as the people of God, has been written into God's plan and law from the very beginning. Come and be together with your family, with your extended family, with your adopted family in God. And then he goes on to list seven more, and so you can put those up on the screen. He goes on to list seven more gatherings. We've got the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, of Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Not Sukkoth, Sukkot. Um, so these seven feasts or seven sacred assemblies are then prescribed for the people of God. So you gather every week, every seventh day, and then you gather seven times a year as the whole community. So you see those weekly gatherings, those are just for the local community. They're for the people around you. These seven, you got to travel to Jerusalem for them, or you got to travel to wherever the temple is. When they're wandering in the wilderness, it's the tabernacle. And then when they get to the promised land, it will be in multiple places until finally it lands in Jerusalem where the temple of God is built. 
And so wherever God's presence is in the land, wherever his temple is or his tabernacle is, you have to travel there during these seven festivals. Now, there's some good news here. Many of the festivals are combined. They're together. So the first three all take place at the same time. They're all really one big festival. And then you've got Shavuot. And then Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur come together as one. And then you've got Sukkot at the end. And so uh, the first four happen in the spring of the year. The last three happen in the fall of the year. These are the times that the people are called together. Now, why? Why is God calling together the people for these seven times per year? He's calling them together for three reasons, at least three reasons that we'll consider today. He's calling them together to remember, to be encouraged, and to anchor their hope. So he's calling them together to remember. Each of these festivals is tied to some event in history, to some event in the people of God's history. Passover. I hope you know what Passover is connected to. It's the passing over that happened just before the people of God were freed from Egypt. Moses had gone to Pharaoh and said, Hey, Pharaoh, um, God is going to take the firstborn of every household in the kingdom unless you repent and let us leave. And the Pharaoh said, no, 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 I'm not letting you leave. You're going you're gonna to stay where you are. And so Moses went back to the people and said, okay, people of God, here's what you're going to do. The angel of the Lord is going to come and take the firstborn of every family in the kingdom, unless you slaughter a lamb and you paint its blood on the doorposts of your house. And then when the angel sees the blood, the angel will pass over your house. And that night, your whole family will gather and eat the entire lamb that you sacrificed for its blood. That's the Passover. And he said at that time, I want you to be ready because the moment that this plague is over, the moment that the firstborn have died, Pharaoh's going to let us go. You won't have time for the yeast to work through your dough for the next day. You need to go ahead and make bread without any yeast in it so that it's ready to leave because you guys got to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Basically, like, slaughter this lamb, pack your bags, eat your food, we're going home. And so we come to the second, the festival of unleavened bread. The angel of the Lord passes over the houses with the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, and then the people take their unleavened bread with all of their belongings and they get out of Egypt. And then we have the first fruits. The festival of first fruits happens at the same time as Passover and unleavened bread. It is a bringing of the first fruits of your harvest. So you're harvesting your fields and the first things that you harvest, you bring as an offering to God. Now, the very first celebration of first fruits would be in the promised land. When God had led the people into the promised land and then they were able to set up farms. While they're wandering in the wilderness, they ain't got no farms. God is feeding them with manna and with quail from heaven. He's like literally just giving them food. So the first fruit would be when they got to the promised land, they set up their farms and they harvested the first of their crops. They would bring that to the tabernacle and they would make a sacrifice of their first fruits. This was to keep the people in gratitude. Not ingratitude, but in gratitude. 
It was to keep the people grateful to God. Because, like I said before, the people, if they got to the promised land, and they had this land that was flowing with the milk and honey, where they were working the land, and the first fruits were gathering, and the, the crops were coming up and growing, it would be really easy to become ungrateful to God and think, I did this with the work of my hands. But when you have to take the first part of your harvest and bring it to God as a sacrifice, it's a recognition that even the work of my hands is a gift from God. Even what I get by the work of my hands, I get because God has given it to me. God made the rainfall. I didn't. God made the crops grow. I didn't. I tilled the soil. I worked the land. But ultimately, it was up to God to give me that harvest. It was God who brought us to the promised land. It's God who gave us the ability to work in the first place. All that I have, even the work of my hands, is a gift from God. And so we would bring our first fruits to sacrifice as a recognition. I didn't do this on my own. I didn't get here on my own. There is no such thing as a self-made person. That is a myth that needs to die. There's no such thing. So we bring the first roots. Then you have Shavuot. Shavuot is what we might call Pentecost. It's 50 days later. It's the celebration of the end of harvest. So you make sacrifice at the beginning of harvest to say all of this is a gift from God. You make a sacrifice at the end of harvest to say all of this is a gift from God. You bookend your harvest with sacrifice and celebration. And Shavuot would be a big old party. Shavuot is a big festival. It's a big feast day. It's when you're celebrating the total end of the harvest. It's all in. We are done. Our work is finished. We get to actually Sabbath. A high Sabbath is declared for Shavuot when everybody rests and everybody feasts. And it's a big old party before God. If you've ever lived in a farming community, you know what the end of harvest is like. It is, it's a big deal, right? You've spent weeks taking in the grain, taking in the crops, bringing it all in, having it weighed, selling it off, doing whatever you're going to do, filling your, your granaries with it. And then finally, you reach the end and you are just, you're beat, you're exhausted. And in this time and place, everybody participated in harvest. They didn't have combines, right? They didn't have like laser-guided GPS-tracked combines that basically did the work when you punched in the numbers, right? These guys were all out in the field together. This was a whole community affair. So everybody's exhausted, everybody's done, and they would all come together to party. They also celebrated at this time the giving of the law. When God gave the people the law on Mount Sinai, when he, the, in fact, what we're reading here, Leviticus, it's when they celebrated what God had done in giving them the law and showing them the kind of people they were going to be. Because the giving of the law was a grace for the people. You see, some of us, we think we come to God and we get in God's good graces by performing, by keeping the law. But even the people of God way back when recognized that God only gave us the law after he called us his own. God only gave us a standard for living after he had already said, you are mine, you belong to me, you'll be marked with my name, and here's what it means to be marked with my name, and he gave them the law. And so they would celebrate the giving of the law. And then we come to Rosh Hashanah, which is, literally means head of the year. It's the Jewish New Year. It's, the, it's a new religious year. It's a time of preparing your heart for God's judgment. Because immediately following Rosh Hashanah is Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, the day of atonement, 
when all of the sins of all of the people are covered by the sacrifice of a lamb for the priests and by the scapegoat for the rest of the people. The high priest would come and he would pray over a goat and basically symbolically like put the sins of the people on the goat and then they would release the goat out into the wilderness and the goat would carry away their sin. And so Yom Kippur was the day of atonement, the day when God made atonement for his people. And then we come to Sukkot, the final festival. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is when you, as a faithful Jewish person, are supposed to live in a tent for a period of time. Not in your house. You're supposed to build a shelter and live in it outside of your home as a reminder of the tents that your people lived in during the Exodus when they were wandering in the wilderness. They lived in tents. And they ate the food that God had given them, the manna and the dove, or the manna and the quail. They would eat that. And so during Sukkot, you remember that. You, your, family, your whole family lives in a tent outside. Now, this is really hard if it's like October and you live in Canada to do as a faithful Jewish person. But in the time and place, in the culture and time and place, it was really kind of pleasant to be outside in a tent with your family enjoying one another's company, celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt, God's deliverance from sin, and reminding you that you are here because God brought you here. God has taken you through the wilderness. God has carried you through. If you are here today and you have struggled or suffered at all in your life, you are here because God divinely carried you through it. Even when you were living in a tent, even when you were homeless, even when you were struggling, even when you lost that person or you lost that thing or you got that diagnosis, God carried you through. And so this is a reminder that you are here because God brought you here. And so these are the seven high holy days, the seven feasts of Israel, when people were expected to come to the temple and to worship God and to feast together to Sabbath together, to declare that they belong together as God's people, and to celebrate their history. And so God gave these feasts to remember. He also gave them to encourage people. Encourage people not just about what God had done in the past, but what he was doing then. When we gather together as God's people, we should be encouraged by what God is up to. These were the times that you would gather with people you hadn't seen all year, or you hadn't seen since the last festival maybe. You'd come together, and you would hear the stories of what's going on in other people's lives. You would reconnect with family and friends you hadn't connected with in months. You would see one another, and you would be encouraged by them. You'd be able to share what God had been doing in your life and in the life of the nation. These were times when news would spread among the people of various things that God was doing or what was happening in the nation. Maybe you don't know what's happening way in the south because you live up in the Galilee. And so you'd come down to the temple for the feast days and you'd get the news from the south of what God had done or what was happening. These were times to be encouraged by what God had done in the past to remember, to anchor and root us in who our God is and what he's done for us and also to be encouraged that our God is not done yet. He's continuing to work. God has never stopped working. He's still at work among his people. And when we gather here as God's people, we gather to be encouraged, to share the stories of what God is doing. Maybe you're in a spiritually dry season. Maybe you haven't experienced the presence of God very much. Maybe you're not seeing or feeling God's work in your life. And you get to come here 
And you get to hear that, hey, God's at work still. He hasn't stopped. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm in a dry space. But man, look at the rain God is giving that other person right now. And to be encouraged by it. To know that God is still at work in the world and he can be at work in your life too. And so we come together to share the stories of what God has done and what God is doing and to be further rooted and anchored in the presence and power of our God who's adopted us, who called us out of Egypt and has made us his people. And finally, these seven feasts are given for the hope of the people to anchor them in hope. It's not just about remembering what God did way in the distant past. It's not just about being encouraged about what God is doing now. It's to look forward, to look forward to what God will do. Each one of these feasts points to Jesus in their own way. You can read about it in these little notes if you, if you want to. But each one of these feasts points us to Jesus. So as Christians, we look at the feasts and we are reminded of Christ. We're reminded of Jesus. But as we look at the feast and we're reminded of Jesus, we're also reminded of what Jesus will do, of what he has done in his life and death and resurrection and reign, what he's currently doing in the lives of one another, and what Jesus has promised us that he will do. We come to anchor ourselves in hope, just as the people of God have done for thousands of years as they come together and they're anchored in the hope of what God will continue to do and what he has promised for the future. There would come a day when the people of God gathering for these high holy days would not have a temple to go to. They would gather in synagogues and they would gather in places in homes, and they would gather in places in their local communities for the high holy days, and they would come together and they would celebrate what God had done, and they would look forward to God's Messiah to come. And they would tell the stories of God's promises of deliverance that were coming as the people of God were under the thumb of Babylon, and then of Persia, and then of Rome eventually, as the people of God were in exile out of their holy land, as the people of God were gathering together and they had no temple to pilgrimage to, they had no place to go, they would come together and tell stories of the Messiah to come. The one that God would send to free them and to deliver them. And then, in the middle of the Roman occupation, in the middle of, of Rome's heavy thumb on the people of Israel, God wrapped himself in flesh and came to live among his people. To be the Passover lamb, to be the one who would carry us through and provide us bread when we didn't have leavened bread to carry with us. He would be the first fruits of the resurrection who God raised from the dead to show us what we will one day be in Jesus Christ. He would be our provider as we bring our first fruits. He would be the one who would bring us a new law, not of performance but a law of love, a law of sacrifice. He would be our new birth, the head of our new year, who showed us God's grace and showered us with his presence. He would be the one who took God's judgment in his own atonement as he made atonement for us so that we could be free in him. He would come and he would tabernacle among us and live among us in suffering for his 30 some odd years until he was sacrificed 
for our sake. When we come together as God's people, we remember who Jesus is. We remember what he has done. And he would also be the one who promised, I will return. I am coming back. I will make all things right and I will end the suffering of the world. I am coming to make right the world. Until then, walk with me, live with me, tabernacle with me, wander in the wilderness with me. Let me be your provider. Let me be your atonement. And one day, I will make all things right. That's what we celebrate every single week when we gather as the church. That's what we're reminded of. That's what we're encouraged by. And that's our rock-solid hope. That every single time we gather, we celebrate. So that we are further anchored and rooted in our King Jesus. In whom all of God's promises are yes and amen. Jesus is our feast. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our atonement. Jesus is our hope. And we get to come here. We get the great privilege of coming to this place, gathering as God's children, and being reminded of all he has done, being encouraged by what he and his spirit continue to do, and being anchored in the hope of our coming King Jesus, who will make all things right. That's why we gather. That's why we come together. And that's exactly what this meal points us to. That's exactly what the bread and the cup of communion do for us. They anchor us in the work of Jesus. Assure us of God's continuing work in our hearts as he roots out our sin and points us to the blessed hope of Jesus as we do this until he comes again. This is why we come to the table every single week. Because in this one activity, in this one blessed sacrament, are fulfilled all the promises of God for us, past, present, and future. In this one act, in this one sacrament, God is rooting us and anchoring us in Christ. And somehow, some way, mysteriously, Jesus is present. Not that the bread becomes his literal body and not that the juice or wine becomes his literal blood. But also not that it's just a symbol. When we come to this sacrament, when we come to the table and partake of the body and blood of Jesus, we believe that he is truly present in it. That when we take these things into ourselves, we take into ourselves the sacrifice of Jesus and the promise of his return. When we take these things into ourselves, the Holy Spirit is at work in us, refining us and making us more like Jesus. When we come to this blessed sacrament, we come as people remembering Jesus, encouraged by his continuing work in us and anchored in the hope of his return. And this is why it will always be the height of what we do as Christ's body that draws us together in his blood as his family. And so I'm going to invite you to come forward and partake 
of the body and blood of Jesus. Here, uh, we make two lines in the center and we come forward. You'll be served the bread, you'll be served the cup. If you'd prefer, there are pre-filled cups at the table on the back, you can grab one of those. And if today you're not a follower of Jesus and you opt not to participate, we invite you to consider Jesus. Consider what he has done for you in his life and death and sacrifice, his resurrection and his reign as king. We invite you to consider what he is doing in the life of the people, of the followers of Jesus that you know. What you have observed and seen him doing in the life of his people. We invite you to consider the hope of Jesus. As he has promised, he will come again and make all things right. End the suffering of this world and bring his perfect kingdom forever. We invite you to consider Jesus today. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.